How many notice the differences that are going on this Sabbath? Let me see your hands. How many all been blessed so far this morning? Let me hear you say amen. amen. God has been good to us this morning. I invite you to turn me to our opening text in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, beloved church, if you believe that God is truly good this morning, let me hear you say amen. 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 This morning, the sermon entitled is, But Deliver Us from Evil Expectations. But Deliver Us from Evil Expectations. Contrary to popular belief, Freedom is not free, but instead freedom has a cost. And if you don't believe me, then just ask the parents who've lost their only son fighting for our freedom. Just ask the little boy whose mom is not coming home from the war the high cost of freedom. Just ask the young newlywed who just got a military visit at her front door the high price of freedom this morning. And if you would, I'm almost certain that you would see how expensive freedom really is this morning. Amen? And the spiritual freedom that we experience in this world is far more expensive this morning, beloved, than the physical freedom we experience. For to follow the dictates of one's own conscience, must, you must be continually fighting for this freedom for the rest of your life. For the freedom we experience is really the freedom this morning, is really the picture that we have of God and the freedom that he gives to us this morning. Amen? Amen. Our freedom that we share with others is really a picture of God and the freedom that he gives to every one of us here also this morning. So as we look at the high cost of spiritual freedom, may we remember that the battle is the Lord's, and that is he that will fight for us. Let us pray. Father, we humbly ask for your spirit. We pray as your word is open that you will help us understand it and may be uplifted and glorified. Lord, is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. What is God's government, as we go through our Bible study, what is God's government based upon? Notice the Bible says, we went over this text before, let's look at this text again. It says, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, this one, amen? Liberty, freedom. So wherever the Spirit is, that means the freedom. But also, wherever there is freedom, there is also what? There is the Spirit. And where there's no freedom, there is what? No Spirit. So wherever there is freedom, allowed freedom, that is why there is the Holy Spirit. The Dark Ages and what was going on to the medieval, medieval ages in Europe was testimony to the fact that when there is no freedom, there is no spirit, right? 
And so they broke away the king to the United States, and where there's freedom, we flourish spiritually, and that's where, where there is freedom, the Holy Spirit is allowed to move. But Satan has spread lies about the government of God, that God's government is too restrictive, and it's too hard to be a Christian. Have you ever heard this or believed this before? But the Bible says that you shall know the truth about God's government, and the truth shall set you free this morning. Amen? God's truth about his government, that is freedom, is truly a revelation of God's love for us. That God loved, the definition of love is also freedom here this morning. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Now, what does the image of the beast or the, or the image of the final Babylon cause people to do in the last days? Look at Revelation chapter 13. Revelation, turn with me to Revelation in your Bibles, chapter 13, verse 12. Notice what, it, what the Bible says it does. What does the, we're talking about, we're studying the mystery of Babylon revealed. What does the final Babylon cause people to do? Revelation 13, verse 12. The image of the beast, the United States of America, exercise all the power of the first beast, or the Roman Catholic Church, before him. And, what is that word? causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose daily wound was healed. Now another word for cause in this context is to force. He causes, he forces, he controls. There is no freedom in this. In the last days, the freedom will be taken away. Contrary, see, Satan's government is based upon force and control and causing you to do what he wants you to do. Do you see that, beloved? What else happens? Look at verse 16 and 17. And he causes, he forces all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save he that has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. In other words, they're going to be forced, they're going to be caused them to do it. They cannot, they're not able to buy or sell. Cause, they cannot, they'll be forced to do it. And what else happens here? Look at verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause or force that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what? Killed. So the whole government of Satan will take place and be revealed on this earth in the last days. People will be forced against their will that they cannot do, they're not allowed to buy or sell unless they give in to the control of the image of the beast. Do you see that? And not only that, but it'll come to the point where they can't get you to do what they want you to do. They're going to come to the point where if they're not going to listen to us, then we're going to kill them because they're not listening to us to what we expect them to do. Satan will use people to pressure you to do what they expect you to do. Laws will be passed so you cannot buy or sell unless you do what they expect you to do. Finally, they will use the death penalty to get you to do what they expect you to do. Satan's government is based upon this. In other words, Satan controls us whenever we give in to the expectations of others this morning. Are you following me? 
Whenever we give in to the expectations of other people, we are giving in to Satan. And Satan controls people by expectation this morning. And God wants to be free from the bondage of us living up to the expectations of others this morning. Free from the manipulation of others pressuring us to do what they want us to do. Free from the slavery of being a people pleaser and always wanting to make everyone happy. And the reason why God wants us to be free is so that we can follow the dictates of our own conscience, not, not only that, but also that we have enough time to be able to do what God wants us to do this morning, beloved. My question to you is this. How are you preparing yourself for the final conflict? For how you respond today and how people have expectations of you and what they want you to do, how you respond to people will determine how you will respond in the last days also. Because in the last days, they're going to expect you to do certain things. They're going to expect you not to worship on this day. They're going to expect you to worship on another day. People have expectations of what they want you to do. And if you are fulfilling the expectations of people today, whether it be your husband, your wife, your workers, your friends, your church members, whatever it may be, if you are fulfilling everyone's expectations against the dictates of your own conscience now, you will fall in the last days, beloved. Amen? So God wants us to break free from the slavery, the bondage of expectations this morning. Now, how is Jesus treated when he was on this earth? Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible says, He is despised and rejected of men. This is Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. He was despised, he rejected. Why was Jesus despised and rejected by everyone? Look at your quotation here in your handouts. Let's see what the Inspiration Spirit Prophecy says in your orange handouts. Note what it says here in Testimonies to Ministers, page 64. It says the Jews refused to receive Christ. Why? Because he did not come in accordance with their what? There's that word again. Hmm. Expectations. The ideas of finite men were held as infallible because horrid age. Because he didn't come to the expectation because he didn't do what they expected him to do, because he didn't do what they wanted him to do, they rejected him, thus they despised him, beloved. Beloved, that's the world we live in today. Here's the steps of what happened to Jesus. Look at that steps right here on the handout. This is the steps. I call it the four steps. This is what actually happened to Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, and do we not have people expecting us to do what they want us to do? A lot of times we feel obligated and we do things out of mere obligation or feel that we have to do it, right? This is how the world runs. Look at what happens. Number one, the people had expectations of Jesus. They expected him to do things how they wanted things to be done and their way how things need to be done. 
and what he should actually be doing, right? People had expectation of Jesus. Number two, here's the problem. Jesus didn't fulfill their expectations, beloved. You follow me? Be now, if he had fulfilled their expectations, they would have loved him, beloved. They would have done whatever he asked them. They would have hailed him as, as the Messiah. But he did not fulfill their expectations. Number three, the next step. The people then, because of this, rejected and despised Jesus because he wouldn't fulfill their expectations. And because of this four, Jesus experienced sorrow and grief because of this rejection. You ever been here before? You know, a majority of people in this world, 99.9% .9 of even Christians, we fulfill people's expectations of us all the time, whether we like it or not, right? This is because we want to be a people pleaser, we want to make people happy, we want to fulfill the position in the nominee committee. We just, we just do things all the time because we want to fulfill people's expectations. We want them to think of us as a certain way, and want to hold ourselves as a, as a certain way and look good and all that. Out of mere obligation. See, Jesus paid a high price for his freedom, beloved. Do you see that? See, Jesus was free this morning, amen? He wasn't tied down. He wasn't in bondage. He was not in slavery to the expectations of other people. He did not fulfill what people expected him to do. He lived his life what he knew that God, his Father, was calling him to do, beloved. And that's how he lived his life. But because he lived his life how God wanted him to live, he was rejected of men, despised, and lowly esteemed among everyone. And I want you to notice, and here's the irony of the whole thing. Even though Jesus had done many mighty miracles, this was still enough, not enough for the people. Even though he had raised up the dead, beloved, this was not enough for the people. Even though he had brought a revival to the church, this was not enough for the people. And even though, beloved, he had preached powerful sermons, this was not enough for the people. For Jesus had a problem, beloved, this morning. And the problem was this. He didn't do things the way people wanted him to do, beloved. But it was because of this very reason that he was able to do so much in such a short amount of time. You see, Jesus had done what, if Jesus had done what others expected him to do, he would have been just like the rest of us. Right? Spiritually useless, right? But because he went against what society wanted him to do, because he went against what everyone's wanted him to do, the whole culture of the time, the whole church structure organized it, because he went against it, God blessed his ministry more than everyone before. And beloved, God wants us to break free from the slavery and the tyranny of living up to the expectations of other people here this morning. You believe what I'm saying? Let me hear you say amen. Amen? Turn me to John chapter 6, verse 15. John chapter 6, verse 15. The sermon on this morning is, but deliver us from evil expectations. John chapter 6, verse 15. When Je what did Jesus do when he saw that the people 
people were going to make him king. Remember, they expected him to be the king, right? What did, what did he do? Look at verse 15. Did he give in? The Bible says, When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by ah, force. What government is that? God's government? <laughs> Satan's government. Force to make him a what? King. What did he do? He said, okay, make me king. I'll give in so that you'll follow me so we can take this kingdom by force. The Bible says he departed again into a mountain himself alone this morning. He departed. What happened next? Look at verse 66. Chapter 6, verse 66, the same chapter. The Bible says, and he said to them, when he told them that he broke their expectations, therefore said I unto you that, it says, verse 6, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Why did they turn away? The reason why they turned away, beloved, is because Jesus would not do what they wanted him to do. And whatever, whenever we are called to serve God and God's church, we are not to cater to others' expectations of what they want you to do, beloved. Amen? I'm going to share with you a little story. When I first started into the ministry, we were told that at a conference that every church, and this is true, I think most of you don't even know this, but every church has something what they call a patriarch and a matriarch. You ever heard that before? And a patriarch and a matriarch is that there's a couple people that pretty much members that run the church. They've pretty much been there a long time and everyone's listening to them because they're fearful of not living up to their expectations. Are you following me? Does every church, we told, we've been taught that, every church has them. I think they don't tell the members because they don't want you to know. But that's the truth. And they all know this. They tell us this. So every church, they pay, every church, you know, I look at every church, I know I figured out which family in each church is running each church as I look around this conference. And I know, and everyone who's in tune knows who's running the church. Not the pastor, not the church board, it's not business meeting, it's not the members, it's, it's the patriarch and the matriarch. When I first came to, actually, this church, this is going to bring, bring it home here. Now, you know, it was just a handful of people, a little bit of people, and that was very little bit of people I came, very little. And I was here, and at first, we brought in people. There's a great revival going on. The Holy Spirit was moving in a mighty way. And then, as I realized that the power was being transferred from this, this, this family away from that family, where once they were so supported, whatever you want, blank checks, pastor, here you go, let's do it, God's blessing. But when I realized the power is being transferred from them, away from them, big, big confrontation it had. Because the power is, is leaving. So, I was wondering what to do. It's amazing how God works. So I went to the, in the mainland, we had some ministry meetings with the union. And they happened to talk about patriarchs and matriarchs as part of the seminar class. So I went to that class, and it was actually somebody from the general conference was there teaching this class, something way up high. So he's teaching this class about patriarchs and matriarchs. And I'm sitting there, and he tells us that you shouldn't go against the patriarchs and matriarchs. 
big mistake because I, I had already done it already. I was like, I wanted what to do next, not not to do it. <laughs> so I'm stuck here. So I meet with him after. I said, I said, Elder, this is my situation. I'm just a new minister. I just started like a year. I'm, of course, I'm zealous on fire. I've gone against the patriarch because the people want to go against this patriarch. matriarch. That's what they want, but they're fighting for the power. What do I do? And he said to me, he said, never go against the patriarch. matriarch. He said, I've never seen a pastor go against it and live. <laughs> so he told me. This is afterwards now. He's telling me this is a general conference. And live. I said, Pastor, you got to give me some elder. You got to give me some kind of hope here. What kind of hope are you going to give me? He said, okay. The only, your only hope, he said, you got to stay close to your conference president. Not realizing, now this conference president here is a godly man. I've learned a lot. And in fact, this sermon is very inspired from him, actually, his type of leadership. But the pre, one of the previous conference presidents, me and him were bucking heads from the beginning. And so he did not like me, and I'm like, is that it? Is that, my, is that my lifeline? That's all I got? Stay close to the conference president? Now, this conference president is very supportive. I mean, he's overly supportive, in fact. But before I said, is that it? I said, stay close to the conference president. So I went back here to Hawaii. I fell into a deep depression. And there I was for weeks, and I was like, it's, it's, it's hopeless. Well, what do I do? Do I just give in to what they want and let the church be, continue to die spiritually, what has been going on? Or do I go with the people, what the people want, and it's time to move on? But you know, God spoke to me, and he said, you ought to believe God rather than man. Amen? So I went to the Word of God and said, well, there's many stories in the Bible. God did many victories in the past. He, if he did it before, he can surely do it again once again. So God shook off the depression, the deep depression that I was in. And God gave me the word. He said, who are these uncircumcised Philistines that they should defy the armies of the living God? Amen? <laughs> you see, beloved, I learned this lesson. God cannot bless his church if his people are in a way hindering the Holy Spirit. Even in that church, I've learned, is still preaching powerful, truth-filled messages. For there must be freedom in order for the Holy Spirit to work. And revivals will happen wherever there is freedom. But they will die wherever there is control by people, beloved. Amen? And that's something I realized that, you know, in the Righteousness by Faith message of 1888, you know, Ellen White says there are three things that we need to understand. God's character, God's purposes, and God's government, beloved. Amen? For how his government is at stake, the laws, the foundation of his government in heaven is in a great controversy. Satan says that you judge unfairly, you're unjust judge and governor. Your whole government, how you run up there is wrong. And so God's government must be seen also in his church, I believe, before he even comes again. That is a great controversy. And that must happen in God's church also. And so we must, beloved, see how God's government should be done here on this earth also. 
Now, what question did the Jews have concerning Jesus? Turn to John chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. Now, chapter 7, verse 14 and 15. What question did he have about Jesus? Notice what it says here. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So he's teaching. Know what the Bible says? And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters? Well, how has he learned so much? Having never what? Studied or learned. Now, they're not saying that Jesus never, was never learned or studied. What they're saying is that he was never learned in the rabbinical schools, right? He never went to their denominational schools, beloved, right? And yet God, the Father, used him. He had no degrees and no formal education, beloved. Do you see that? Now look at this quote right here. This is a powerful quote. Desire of Ages on your handouts. All, talking about this text, all wondered at his knowledge of the law and the prophecies, and the question passed from one to another. How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? And then it goes and explains what we just said. No one was regarded as qualified to be a religious teacher unless he had studied in the rabbinical schools. And listen to this last sentence. It's powerful. It says, And both Jesus and John the Baptist had been represented as what? ignorant because they had not received this training now beloved these are very strong words to call the what is called the greatest prophet that had ever lived and god himself by his own creatures ignorant this morning beloved and here's the thing jesus could have gone to the denominational schools and gotten that degree just to satisfy their expectations, right? But instead, he chose not to. My question, if Jesus was here today, would he be allowed to teach in one of our institutions?